0: Amen. Uh, Cheeky. Um, That's good. Let me just say something in the first few minutes. Jesus Christ is Lord. Hey. (laughs) That's important. Hey, I just want to mention a couple of things before we get step right into the sermon together uh, this morning. If you're a visitor and you'd love to get connected with the Willow Park Church, there are connect cards. Fill them in. Let us know your journey. And this week, one of our pastors will make contact with you. You may be unfamiliar with Willow Park Church. We are a multi-site, four great locations, six congregations of which you are worshipping here this morning here in Rutland at Highway 33. Um, Colombian Bible College is with us this morning. I think there's a young lady here that, uh, stand up if you're here. She's right at the back. Uh, There she is. Uh, Great. And uh, please chat and see. This is our Bible College down on the coast. Uh, Find out information about uh, Columbia Bible College as well. We've been talking about a changed life throughout uh, October and November before we get into Advent season. And by the way, if you're new to Willow Park Church and you want to really connect in, uh, there's a great way of doing it at the moment and that is to sign up to be a volunteer at Living Nativity. Living Nativity is quite amazing. It is wonderful. Last year we had over 8,000 people come to our church in one weekend, which was uh, fantastic. That was great. Uh, and, uh, and that little clap wasn't so fantastic. So let me just... Uh, <laughs> it was fantastic. So what I want you to do is to... Um, uh, sign up, get involved. You may have never done that. We need you to bake. I don't know. Is it forty thousand cookies? And 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 get involved in the whole process. Volunteer, help with the parking. Uh, welcome our community. The free gift. I mean, let's be honest. Living Nativity kicks off Kelowna's Christmas, and uh, we are it. And then Trinity finishes it off. So between that sandwich, God bless us. And and it's wonderful the way that. God has worked and used it, and I am assured it will be a spectacular this year. Uh, last year was unplugged and was improv. This year will be fully plugged in and is a, um, a spectacular to behold. So do get involved in living nativity. You know, we all do things that, if you're like me, that we go, oh, I'm, I, I'm ashamed of that. We all involve ourselves in situations or speak things that we think, oh, why did I say that? Why why did I do that? Many of us uh, find ourselves in that. You know, I know in my own life, I shared a little bit last night about a moment, you know, when I get frustrated driving and somebody cuts me off and I'm like, ah. You may be like that. In fact, uh, my wife did say to me last night, she said, you know, if that's the best example you can give about being frustrated, I've got quite a few I can give you <laughs> about your character. I was like, yes, love. <laughs> because we all battle and there are moments when we are become um, uh, frustrated. There are moments when we look at ourselves and we become perhaps moody. There are moments in our lives when we find ourselves experiencing emotions that are negative. We're angry. We're frustrated. We, we suffer with that moment when, when we find ourselves arguing with somebody uh, and we don't really know why we're arguing, but suddenly the emotion has gone from naught to 60 in four seconds and you are on the roof. But real change means that the work of the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit comes into your life and can actually transform those bad habits, those battles, those difficulties within our lives that cause us to quarrel and to be angry and to respond in a non-Christian, unbiblical way. And in fact, the gospel teaches us that when we are born again, we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And yet the challenge is, how do we become a new creation? Because for many of us, you know that the image we may portray at church may not be the image we portray at home. How do Christians argue at home? Do you yell at home? Do you argue with each other? Yes, you do. I know you do. But how do Christians do it? With the windows closed. True? You can be moody. You can be angry. You can be screaming at the kids. And the way that you do it is so the neighbours don't hear. Unlike our non-Christian neighbours. I live in Rutland. Upper Rutland. Enough said. And... We realise that there is this battle in our character, in our personality, in the way that we are. I fail. I get moody. I get irritable. Michelle, go to me. What's wrong with you? Nothing. What do you mean nothing? No, I'm fine. Are you, are you a little bit frustrated about something? No. But you know that you really are, aren't you? You know that really in your life you are frustrated and it's building and there's a problem there. Hey, you know this from living in the world we live in. You know this from our lives. You know that you see people and you work with people and you're involved with people, even family members who may twist the truth. I call it the checks in the post syndrome. That you know, oh yes, don't worry, I've got that sorted. And we twist the truth. We even see people that lie. We know people that become bitter. And they become angry about, well, how dare they treat me like that? Don't they know how much I gave to that organisation? Don't they know how much I invested in that church? Don't they know what I gave to them to help them in that problem and that difficulty? And we can become bitter. We can then turn to the blame game maybe. Well, it's not really my fault. It's their fault. Well, I had nothing to do with it, except, well, yes, that person really needs to take responsibility for that. And we shift the blame. Maybe we move situations around to suit our own position. Maybe what we do is we fall into the bad habit of judging lots of people. You have experienced people judging the power of that did you see the way that person is did you see the way that they did did you see what Do you hear what went on and what they put on their Facebook Mm -hmm. yes we can all be Facebook stalkers creeping around having a little luck if you don't know what Facebook is just lift your head up to heaven and go thank you Jesus um (laughs) Because you've saved yourself from so much stress of what everybody else is doing so wonderfully and your life feels like it sucks and you've got all this going on and, and we judge people. We judge people. Do you see that pastor? He didn't even tuck his shirt in when he preaches. I mean, what's going on there? We meet people that are numbed by life, that they become numbed. How have they become numbed? Well, maybe they become numbed by by substances, by drinking or whatever, taking in substances in their lives that seem to numb them and make them uh, get through life. People numb themselves through overworking, always trying to perform, always trying to be the best. People numb themselves through possessions and through what they own and what they have. People searching for identity and looking for that and find identity in lots of other things Apart from Christ Jesus. Lust can grab hold of our hearts and consume our minds and our whole brain becomes a cinema of, of images and activity that does not glorify the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We can start to be full of malice and vengeance, that there is a problem that can take place and we can think, I, that person did this, but you know what? I'm going to get them back. Don't worry, I will. We can become defensive about situations, self-defensive. We're always there. We can slip into being thoughtless people. We can persecute and curse people through reactions of silence because silence can be such a powerful tool to inflict injury on another human being in our lives. So if you were to look at humanity, we would realise very quickly that the inner heart of man can be corrupted. And although we are born again, although we have met Christ, although Christ has changed us, you and I live in this world and are we really being changed? And so I suppose this sermon is, is that attempt to try and explain how we can experience change at those kind of heart levels. So if you feel uncomfortable in this sermon, that's okay. Because I'm already feeling uncomfortable preaching it because I know that there are areas of my own life that I'm in the process of being transformed. I know that's a shock for some of you because you thought I was the perfect pastor, which, of course, I like to pretend I am. Uh, But we are not all perfect. In fact, James, the great pastor, apostle, the great leader of the church at Jerusalem, the great one who who knew what it is to deal with emotion and to deal with pain and to deal with problems. James himself writes about this and this is where we really want to focus on. He says this, what causes fights and quarrels amongst you? Have you ever wondered that? What is causing fights and quarrels? And as I preach these things, I want you to know I do not preach them with a heart of condemnation. And if you know me well enough, you will know. And if you're new to Willow Park Church, I don't carry a message of condemnation. I carry a message of redemption and salvation in my being and what God has called me to do. There will be judgment and condemnation but that is down to one day when the heavens part and Christ will return today we call people to the love of God and what causes fights and quarrels amongst you don't they come from your desires the battle within you boom he's given us right the answer here what causes you to quarrel Have you ever seen a couple arguing in public, maybe at a restaurant, or maybe at that moment, and you can see that the relationship is not going very well? And they're looking at each other. It usually happens in Costco, and it usually happens... On Christmas Eve. And you're going around Costco on Christmas Eve, and you're watching all these couples, and you know, you can see by the body language that the man is completely frustrated at this moment, and he stood there, <sighs> <sighs> and they're like bickering and arguing, and but well, you said this, well, you said this. Well, why did you invite your mother? <sighs> and the whole of Costco goes quiet. And all the attendants are going, oh, that was not a good thing to say. (laughs) What causes fights and quarrels amongst you? Let me give you a bit of truth here. The reason we fight and quarrel outwardly is because actually there is an internal war within us. And it's the internal battle that causes us to respond externally and to fight the world around us. You know that's true. Because you know that when you battle and when you fight with your closest person, it's not actually always about that issue, you know it's about a battle that you are fighting within. Maybe you feel overlooked, maybe you feel insecure about that problem, maybe you feel as if you are not being loved enough, or cared enough, or listened to enough, and it's the outworking of the external battle is the outworking of the internal battle in our lives. This is what the pastor says to us. He says, Don't they come from your desires that battle within you, your desires, but you do not have? So you kill. That's strong language. You know, James is known for his care. James is known for his love. James is known for his grace. He's known, here he is, and he says, don't you realise that you therefore kill? Well, of course, we can link this instantly to Jesus' teaching that when we, in the Sermon on the Mount, when we call somebody fool, we murder them. When we hurt people with our words, we we can do severe damage. Or maybe he's thinking of 1 Kings, chapter 21, the story of Ahab, who one day looked out from his palace and he saw a lovely vineyard. And he thought, I want this vineyard. I will go to Nahum and I will say to him, sell me your vineyard, please. And he says, no, it belongs to my ancestors. So what does Ahab do? He goes to bed and he sulks sulking, and there he is lying in his bed sulking, and he's moaning, and he's upset, because he can't have a piece of land to grow vegetables on, and because this man will not sell him the vineyard, and Jezebel comes in, his loving wife, who wants to fix everything, who controls everything, who is murderous, and says to him, enabling him in his dysfunction, says to him, what What kind of man are you? You're the king. You're lying in bed, moaning and groaning and becoming all sullen and depressed. Listen, get up. I'll solve this for you, you useless man. I'll write a letter to the elders. We'll accuse Naab. We'll get some people to say that he's cursed God and the king. And we'll stone him to death. And darling, I love you so much. We'll kill him and you can have the land maybe Je- maybe James was thinking about that that because we have a battle that we want things that we can't have we actually become murderous in our language in our speech we become murderous in our approach we enable others around us To misbehave. Maybe it's David he's got in mind. That he wants to seduce Bathsheba, but he has to kill Uriah first before he does that. I don't know. But what I do know is that when we fight and we quarrel and we hurt others, it actually has a killing effect on relationships. It has a killing effect in lives. And what we've got to learn to do is we have to learn to stop Quarrelling. And the way we learn to stop quarrelling is by learning to solve the battle within our own hearts. So how do we do that? You do not have because you do not ask God. Very good advice. You've not spent the time. You've been quarrelling. You've been doing things. You've been involving yourself. But actually the problem is you're handling all these issues within you yourself. And in fact... And you're not asking God. You're not involving God in your problems. You're not involving God in your attitudes. You're not involving God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. He says, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. What's he actually saying to you here and to me? He's actually saying to us, take seriously self-examination of who you are. Take seriously examining your motives, examining who you are, examining what you're going through. Take seriously this. Now, listen to me. I'm not saying these things to condemn. I am saying these things because it's not about condemnation. It is is about self-examination. The war outside is a reflection of the war inside. He calls us to wrestle. To meditate, to watch, examine, fight, run, persevere, confess, resist, submit, follow and pray until we have been transformed into his likeness. This life of self-examination and joyful discontent should not be confused with a life of paralyzing self-condemnation. See, I know we love to preach and I love to preach these messages that you come to Jesus Christ and you will be content. You come to Jesus Christ and you will be complete. You come to Jesus Christ and all your problems will disappear like a sugar-coated Tylenol that takes away all of your difficulties. Listen, C.S. Lewis put it this way. If I wanted to be content with my religion, if I want to be content in my life, a bottle of Port will make me feel content, he wrote. True. He said, but I do not want to be content with a bottle of port. In fact, my religion and my faith in Christianity makes me discontent. What what do you mean? Well, I'm always discontent because I'm not pleased with my inner man. And I am willing uh, willing to allow Christ to change me. And when we're looking at inner transformation, a sense of discontentment is very good because it shows us that the work of God and the work of his spirit is at work within our lives. And when we feel discontent, it means that God's probably prodding us and working with us and doing something and moving in our hearts so that what happens in our lives is that we're willing to do self-examination. We are willing to wrestle, to meditate, to, to, to examine ourselves. We are willing to say, I am willing to allow Christ to do this work in me. What is the problem? The problem is false lover in your life. There are some things we love in our life that have replaced The passion and the heart for Christ that we hold on to. He says this, doesn't he, in that verse. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? He uses a strong word here. And he uses the word adultery. Oh, am I? What does it mean to be spiritually adulterous? What does it mean to do that? What, what, what does this involve? If I go, you adulterous people, what is the pastor's teaching us here? What is he communicating? Well, this is what he's actually doing. If you want to understand the word adultery, let me replace it for you with another word that works just as well. You idolatrous people. Because adultery is really a word that is used in the Old Testament to describe idolatry. In other words, idolatry means that we are willing to give our hearts to something else rather than the Lord Jesus Christ. And what the Lord Jesus Christ wants to do in our lives, he wants us to take seriously our inner man, that we examine our motives and our difficulties, and by doing that, we examine the idolatry That rules our lives, or the sinfulness, or the thorn bushes, or the weeds, or whatever metaphor we desire to use, he wants us to take that seriously and pull down the idols that stop us from fully engaging God and finding full freedom. So, I'm with my wife. And uh, gasoline is thrown on my heart and I flare up. What what do you mean? What about this? I'm so frustrated. And it goes up. What do I do with that moment? Well, if I'm serious about transformation of my inner man in Christ Jesus. I examine myself because behind that outward reaction, there is an inward battle. And that inward battle is linked to something that I hold more important or as an idol or an issue. And it causes me to examine myself and say, you know what? I've replaced something in my life with something that is other than the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about the heart. And what we've got to be willing to do is look and go, okay, my heart, what is going on? And why do I react that way and what is the root of that and what am I concentrating on rather than what I should be concentrating on the Lord Jesus Christ in my life? You see, it's about reclaiming our hearts and giving our hearts completely over to Christ. And I wouldn't even preach this message if I did not utterly believe that our battles within us can be solved, can be freed in the power of the gospel and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have testimony after testimony as people have submitted themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ and they've been willing and bold enough to do self-examination and bring those issues to the foot of the cross. If the Son has set you free, you will be free indeed. It's the very basis of our faith. We don't have to live with with other emotions that destroy us. We don't have to live with idols at the heart of us. We don't have to react in disbelief. Proportionate ways we can be free because Christ can transform our character and transform our lives. And I hear it all the time. Sit with people and we talk about it. And we're talking about where are the God replacements in our lives. Where have I chosen to feel so passionate about something in some area, and I've actually replaced it by the Lord Jesus Christ? Some issues that we maybe have to self-examine. Some issues that we may have to think about. Some willingness I was talking to somebody, and they said to me, and they were talking about their life, and they were talking about their frustrations, and they were talking about their battles, and these battles were affecting their lives and and their world, and and bringing a toxicity into their marriage, and their lives were starting to crumble around them. And it was an honest conversation, and it was a blessed conversation. And at the end of it, I kind of talked through things, and we were doing, I suppose, self examination before the cross and examining what might be going on. And then and then the person profoundly and beautifully and amazing looked at me and said, I said, well, what's the answer? And the person said, I'll tell you what the answer is. I said, what? The answer is I need to do some hard work in these areas. That's what the answer is. I need to do some hard work. I've got to put the time in to make a difference. And I haven't been with willing to put the time in to make the difference. And I said, wow. That is so honest and that is so beautiful that when we're talking about change, the truth is we live with our problems, we manage our problems, we manage our sin, but we're not willing to put the time in so that God can make the change in our lives. So how willing are we to put the change in? A bit of a list for you. What are your battles? Complaining, laziness, anger, envy, lust, bitterness, avoidance. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Pride, indifference, hard words, blaming, judgmental, spirit, greed, lack of self-control, and so on. Just take that one and work on that. Beautiful. Where do your actions and responses fail to demonstrate the fruit of faith? In your current situation, relationship, how are you responding sinfully? Where are, your, where are you experiencing the consequences of your responses? Where have you slacked off? When have you given into anger or envy? Where have you quit doing what God says is good? You're looking at this game, but this is very specific, Phil. This is very Sort of in depth. To whom have you spoken unkindly to? Where have you blamed others? When have you accused God? Are you dealing with your feelings by doing unhealthy things? Too much eating, spending, working? The list goes on, doesn't it? Now look at this list. And as you look at this list, realise something amazing. Realise this. It's specific. Why? Because sin is specific. And when we look at our lives and we see our sinfulness, you know what? I have to be specific in dealing with the issues of my heart so I pull down the idols and the wrong motivations and allow God to move and allow God to work. I have to be specific. Why? Because sin is specific in my life because I feel anger, because I feel frustration, because I feel that that battle and that difficulty within. But I want to remind you something. And I want to remind you that God loves you and desires you and is zealous towards you. He goes on to say, or do you think scriptures say without reason that he is jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell within us? Look at this word jealousy, another not very nice word. You see, jealousy in our relationships is bad. If you come and hear me teaching, encounter God. I talk about uh, me as a young man who was full of immense jealousy. In your marriage, in your relationship, jealousy is bad. With the Lord Jesus Christ, jealousy is good. What do you mean? We've placed the word jealousy for another word that could be put there, zealous. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he is zealous, Longing for the spirit he has called to dwell in you. You see, we may be adulterous in our hearts spiritually. We may have all of these battles going on within. But God the Father is a lover who is zealous about us. In the same way that the Father ran to the prodigal son, he runs to us in our weakness, in our pain and in our lives. And what we have to be willing to do is... Is to hunger and thirst after his righteousness. God runs towards us. And we should run towards him. And when he runs towards us. And when we run towards him. He meets us in our weakness. And that horrific list that I showed you. That is not too big for God to do in your life. And so the next time you feel something fuels your negative sinful response and you go off the chart. Or internally you churn it over. Stop. Pause. Because this is a beautiful divine moment. Where you can examine yourself and what is the idol behind that emotion. And you can tear it down in the name of Christ. If you do that every day and bring it to the foot of the cross. And examine it and know that there's probably a false love behind it. A false idol there. You can allow the Lord to heal you. And you can allow him to work in your heart. Let's stand together. And as we come to a final moment of worship, just at this moment, allow the Lord to search your heart. When was the last time? You experienced a flare-up that fueled unrighteousness and a response in your heart. There's inconsistency with the kingdom. Think about that moment for a moment. Maybe an insecurity. Maybe you felt overlooked. Now ask yourself, what am I valuing in that emotion that I need to bring under the law and under Christ, the love of the Christ Jesus? And he will heal you. We have to be willing to walk forward with a heart of examination. Realizing that we're going to live with discontentment. Realizing that it comes down to our willingness to be pursued by a jealous God who is zealous for our Presence and lives. He loves us so much. So, Lord, I pray in the final moments of our gathering as we worship that you will come and do some surgery. We realize, Lord, that confession needs to be specific because sinfulness is specific in our lives and we choose to be a transformed people by the power of the gospel. And this week, Lord, I pray that when we feel the gasoline thrown on our heart and we ignite, may we bring it to you and ask that question. What am I putting first as a love in my life rather than the presence of Jesus? Come, Lord, amongst us now, I pray.